So this is the story of Israel. This is the story of Israel. They had read Israel's history. They had read Israel's story. They saw themselves in the context of Israel's story and understood. And they were looking for a good ending. They were looking for a good ending to their story. But they haven't yet experienced it. So, you know, when we read or start reading a good book or start a good new TV series or we're watching a movie or even maybe a season of our sports teams, we are in need of, in fact, we are anticipating a good ending. When it doesn't happen, we're pretty disappointed because there's this anticipation we have as we engage in, in these stories of, of it turning out good. But sometimes they turn out bad. Sometimes the endings are bad, like season of the Vikings, actually. You remember watching, not last season, but the season before, where they had, there was so much hope built up that, that maybe they're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Maybe they'll play in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. And that game where they lost the, the conference game or the playoff game to the, to the Eagles, there's such disappointment. I couldn't think of a, of a movie or of a TV show that had such a bad ending. Can you all, does anybody think of one? A bad ending like that where you've had such a significant emotional letdown? What's that? Seinfeld. You know, you're right. That was a very, that's a, I, was, I was racking my mind, but that is a disappointing ending. On the other hand, when there's a good ending, there's this feeling of satisfaction. And I tell you what, there is no better ending, at least in my opinion, uh, than the ending of Breaking Bad. Have, have, who has seen the series Breaking Bad, seven or eight seasons? And you're wondering how it's going to end because, you know, there's the hero, but he's an anti-hero, and you're, you just, by the time the third or fourth season rolls around, you're just like, okay, this is the main guy, he's the protagonist, but he's, he, he needs to die. He's bringing too much death and destruction to the world, and he's a cruel man. He, but you kind of are rooting for him at the same time. It's a crazy dynamic, and you're just wondering, how are they going to end this thing? And it, it is the most perfect, satis I mean, there isn't an ounce of dissatisfaction. When that show ends, you're just like, that was exactly right. All is good and well with the world right now. We need a good ending. We anticipate a good ending. But we don't want to know the ending right away. So we've got this process that we go through, whether it's a TV series or whether it's a movie or whether it's a novel, where, where we want to go through the process, we want to go through the plot, we want to go through the conflict, we want to come to the climax of the book, and we want to see it unfold and conclude in a good way. And our lives are like this. Our lives are like this. We see our lives as stories. Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, argues that we want to see our lives as a story. We want to see our story, the story of our lives, with a future that redeems the past. And where we can see some meaningful unity in pursuit of what we understand to be the good. And in fact, he argues that we are in fact searching for a sense of our true identity. 
And we define the good, we define our pursuit of this story, of this quest for the good. Uh, the good is, is what we believe is going to bring this redemptive work, make our lives meaningful, give it a sense of unity. But the question then is, what is good? What is good? What is going to give me a sense of meaning and purpose? What, is it gonna, what does it mean for me to feel dignity and respect? What does it mean for me to live the good life? How do, the, how, how do we answer those questions that define our stories and define our identities? Marshall Gregory argues, he's a, he's a f- former English and literature professor from the University of Chicago, wrote a book on the ethical dynamic of stories and how stories shape us. He argues that stories told and lived out, they invite us into worlds that shape how we feel, shape how we believe, and shape how we judge. They shape our ethos. They shape our ethics. They shape how we feel, think, and act in this world. So our life, we see our life as a story, We want to see redemption, but the stories of others, other people, books, movies, these things are also shaping us. I remember some time ago, um, Anna was in dialogue with some of her friends, and I I believe the the book was um, Eat, Pray, Love, I think that's the book. And one of her friends made a comment. She said, you know, I kind of think of of my life and my understanding of my past through that book. Because the book touches on religion and spirituality and how to enjoy life and what we love and these kinds of things. And and it was just this clear presentation of 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 a book providing a framework and an interpretive lens for somebody's life. You know, we're constantly shaped by these kinds of things. And the challenge of our day is that we, we really have no, in this late modern or what some have called postmodern, we really have no unifying narrative as a culture. The old orders have been swept away, as Charles Taylor puts it. And the columnist George Packer says that we are alone on a landscape without solid structures that provide a narrative, a unifying narrative for our story, at least as a culture. We have to, Americans have to improvise their own destinies, plot their own stories of success and salvation. It's where we're at. Individuals plotting our own stories, using the stories of others around us to fashion our own identities and our own sense of good. But I would ask... The question, are we really plotting our own stories? So here we, we see Nehemiah. And they gather together as an entire nation. So the story up to this point, um, Nehemiah described it. God, you have created everything. You've created the heavens. You've created the earth and everything in them. You've given everything for us to enjoy as your people. And you called out a people through the person and family of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, and you established a people for your own name. And you gave them all good things that they didn't have to work for. You blessed them. You over, excuse me, overwhelmingly blessed them. 
with great abundance. And you called them to live according to a law that would give them life, that would give them meaning and purpose and a good ending, a law that would give them a lens through which they could understand their lives and see it. And then Nehemiah says, but we rejected you all along the way repeatedly. But because of your great mercy and your great love and your great care, you did not forsake us or put an end to us, but you once again redeemed us. You again blessed us. And once again, we forsook and betrayed you. And so they ended up in exile to foreign countries. They were living in the land that God gave them, but they were living as slaves in the land that God gave them under foreign nations' rule. And so God gave them 70 years, Judah, in Babylon, and said, you'll be able to come back. And so here they are. This is, this is Judah after 70 years of being enslaved in Babylon, after centuries of, of oppression as a nation while foreign nations laid siege and waged war against them and experienced a lot of suffering. Here they've been allowed to go back. They've just completed the wall. They've completed the temple. They can function kind of as a nation again in some degree of sovereignty, but still under foreign rule, still enslaved. And so Nehemiah has, after all of this work's been done, the temple's been built, the wall's been built, they've come together as an entire nation because Nehemiah wants to implant in them their story. They haven't been defining their own story. They've tried to define their own story. They've tried to be their own author, but God is their author. And he tells them, hey, Israel, here, here is where we've been. Here is where we've been. Now, some of those people were old enough to have been in Jerusalem before they were exiled to Babylon, but not most of them, and not Nehemiah. If you remember Nehemiah, in, the, in some of the earlier sermons that we had, his response when he got news of what was going on in Jerusalem, the beginning chapters of Nehemiah, Ezra's response was similar. He was cupbearer to the king. And at that time, cupbearer to the king was, was essentially the number two person in the kingdom. Access to comfort, to wealth, to power. His life was going well. There had been an expedition to Jerusalem. They came back, and part of that expedition was his family members, his brother and some other relatives. And he said, hey, how are things going in Jerusalem? He says, he responded, we are living in shame. The walls are destroyed. We are under constant threat. Now, Nehemiah, he heard that. He had, never, he, he had not lived in Jerusalem. All he had were the stories. All he had was, was, was the Bible that, really the, the, the law and the prophets to that point. He had the story of Israel. And it was a story that he had spent a lot of time reading and meditating upon. And even though he was a powerful, wealthy man, comforts all around, no problems in his life, 
from a material standpoint and a security standpoint. When he heard the news, it shocked him. It shocked him because it was inconsistent to his sense of identity, his sense of meaning, Israel's identity, Israel's meaning from the stories that he had been reading since he was a child. That story of Israel, God's calling upon them as a nation, had shaped his understanding of who he was, what he was called to do, and, what, and who Israel was, and what they were called to do, and what God had for them for a future. That story from a book. And you could, if you remember, at, from a, again, from several of these sermons that we've had throughout the time, he immediately went into a season of prayer and fasting for days. And that, that, that actually the prayer and fasting uh, went on for se- four months. It went on for four months. He didn't fast for four months, but he was praying and fasting intermittently throughout a four-month season until he, until he had the right moment where he went up to the king and said, King, we need some help as a people. So this story, this story affected his, his heart what he loved. We talked last week about fasting. We, so much of the goodness that we experience in this world is experienced through what we consume, what we eat, what we drink. It's a lot of our joy, and there's a connection between our souls and our spirits and our eating. He, he rejected the pleasures of the world in order that he would be consumed by the reality of God and his presence and God's calling upon him and as a nation. And it affected how we lived. It gave him um, a heart and a passion for God and for Israel to take a step into leading its next phase historically. It elevated him above where he was at in Babylon and said, you know what, I've got to do something here. And he gave up for a season, for a number of years, and he left his wealth, he left his power, he left his status, and he faced death, because he was under constant, they were under constant attack when he went back to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. Constant rebellion. And then he had to confront his own sin. He was... He was, he was lending money at interest to the people of Israel so they could buy food, which is contrary to the law. And the people were starting to sell off their own children in order to pay their debts and to buy food. And there was this huge revolt and uproar, and they came against Nehemiah and the rest of the leaders, and they said, this has got to stop. And Nehemiah said, you're absolutely right. This has got to stop. And he called all of the leaders and said, listen, we have been sinning against God. We've been sinning against our own people. We are going to repay everything that we've taken from them. And he would feed over 100 people a day out of his own income because of a story, because he was overwhelmingly consumed by what God had communicated through his word in his calling upon Israel as a nation and his calling upon him as a leader. His life was changed because of that story. And he made a commitment to fulfill what God had called them to do. 
and he gave his word. And he did it. Now, the story, Nehemiah repeated several of its consistent themes. God has created all things in heaven and on earth. God has created the heavens and the earth. You see that theme repeated throughout Scripture when the gospel is being proclaimed. In the book of Acts, Paul in Athens, there is a God who has created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He alone is Lord. He alone is God. He alone is the author of the story. He is calling a people. He is calling a people out in order that they could enjoy life. And the scriptures teach from beginning to end that he's called, he desires all people to be saved. Not all people are saved, though. But he's, he's called all, not all respond. And in order for him to overwhelmingly care and take care of them, in order for them to have a good ending. But there is a continued resistance Old Testament, New Testament, in our own stories, in our own lives, there's a continued resent, resistance to God's call upon our lives. There's a continued resistance to him being the author, and there's a continued resistance to his care for us. But that God is abundant in forgiveness, in mercy, he is gracious and merciful, he is slow to anger, and he will not forsake his people. And he concludes with a prayer. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us, God. Now, all good stories and the stories of our lives have a plot. Okay, there's a, there's a trajectory. There's an unfolding storyline. Some of our stories are pretty uneventful. Some of us have had pretty uneventful lives. Some of us have had really eventful lives for the good or for the bad. There's always a plot, and there's always conflict, and we anticipate a climax. Now, Israel at this point, you know, there's some commentators that see Ezra and Nehemiah as these, as these positive orienting books because, hey, God has called Israel back to Jerusalem. He's doing something. And, and, and we are kind of coming back into the story again. Okay, maybe Jerusalem, maybe Israel is going to finally become this, this, this city that rules the world under the promised Messiah. And so they're anticipating Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, the books don't end positive. We're going to hit this at the last sermon, but the, bo the books don't end positive. Both books end with Israel falling back into their old ways. They, they are all starting to intermarry again with the nations and the peoples around them, which is how they get pulled into idolatry. Both books end that way. Israel's climax was not, hey, we're back in Jerusalem. We've built the wall. We've built the temple. The story's over. We're good to go. That's not the intended climax of their story. The intended climax for Israel's story is the coming of the Messiah, not the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Not the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And that 
is to be our own climax? Is Jesus what we are waiting for? Is Jesus what we are hoping in? Is, is Jesus the good end to our story? Or are we going to be like Israel? We are in this constant series of plot development and conflict, anticipation for a climax, but things just keep getting worse. And so our lives are just cycle after cycle after cycle of, cy- cycle of conflict, and the only climax is the worst conflict. And we just keep wondering, when is my life going to improve? When is there going to be a sense that I've found my meaning and purpose, I've found my meaning and calling, I can answer the big questions of who am I, where am I going, who are my people? We are not called out as individuals. We are called into the family of God, the Jewish Gentile body, the fulfillment of what God had been promising since the very beginning of Scripture that he would save all of humanity through the Messiah. And Jesus comes and he brings Jews and Gentiles. He breaks down the dividing wall of the law and he provides his Holy Spirit and he unites us as a people and we are now the family of God, more powerful and significant and meaningful than our families that are united by blood. And we feel close ties. Most of us feel close ties to our families. Some of us have hostile ties to our families. But God has called us to a family where unity and love are to be the characterizing dynamics, strong enough to overcome all of the sin and conflict that our lives are just full of, that our lives are just full of. But we aren't alone, as George Packer says, in the midst of an American wasteland, trying to identify our own identities because the structures and the old orders have all been pulled away. We're not alone. There is a story. And what we have to realize is that we are not the author. We are not the author of our stories. God is the author of our story. God is the author of the story of this world. He is the author of the story of our nations. And we aren't lost and hopeless in the midst of a culture and a time where because all of the cultural narratives have been pulled away, we don't have anything to work with. We have the story of God and his work in history. It's a real story. Mortimer Adler says that that if if we're going to pursue God, if we're going to pursue truth in religion, we have to recognize that if God were real and if God were true and if God were loving, he would reveal himself to us and we would see that revelation of him to us through human history. And there are only three historical religions globally, historically, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. And I'm not going to get into discerning between all of the three of those. But they're all coming out of Abraham, the same story that Nehemiah read. And they are all pointing, well, they don't all point, but the story that Nehemiah is reading has its final fulfillment in the promise to Abraham that he would have a descendant that would inherit the world. That descendant is Jesus Christ. So we have to come to a point where we 
do several things. First of all, recognize that we are not the author and give God the place. Scripture says that he is the author of our lives, the author of our faith, Jesus Christ. We have to give up and submit to the fact that we cannot be the author of our lives. And we come to that point, that point of recognizing that Jesus is indeed our Savior. He is our King. He is our author. And he is going to write a story that it will indeed redeem our past and give us hope for the future. That is the promise of, of Romans chapter 8, that God is going to work through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the gospel to turn all things in our lives, all of our suffering into good. That's what, that's what we're all longing for. That's what the, the secular, religious, whatever perspective, that's what we're all writing for. That's where our movies and stories are going for. A good ending that will redeem our pasts. And if you know Jesus Christ, but are still looking for a sense of vision, a defining reality, a way to understand the conflicts and the suffering of your life, let me suggest that you need to learn the story better. You need to learn the story of Scripture better because it does provide us hooks to hang these, these things on, this, the framework. It answers the questions we're asking. It provides hope in the midst of suffering. It helps us to persevere knowing that there is indeed a good ending. But it takes some time and it takes some effort to get to the point where Nehemiah was at, where, where even though he hadn't lived in Jerusalem, it was still defining his reality. So much so that if it, it, he threw out all of his material comforts, his life in Babylon, and said, you know, I am going to step out in faith, trusting in God's call upon my life and his call upon Israel, and this story is going to shape who I am and what I do. It needs to be at that level. It needs to have that kind of emotional draw to you to where you're willing to give it all to see this story come to its fulfillment in Christ, not only for you, but for all the world. Let me pray.